0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. From hot Jupiters to Goldilocks planets and even supernova. The hunt for exoplanets continues, especially using the TESS mission and observatory. But it's not the only way to hunt for exoplanets, and when we hunt for exoplanets we can find out some pretty exciting things. Unexpected discoveries like planets literally being pulled apart, as well as supernova and shedding light on the mysteries of white dwarfs. Now, when I was younger, we often used to debate whether or not it would be possible to find planets outside our solar system, and if we could find those planets, what they would be like. Scientists had lots of theories and ideas, but there wasn't a lot of easy ways to spot planets. A lot of that changed when astronomers and astrophysicists pieced together the puzzle of transiting exoplanets, finding them drift in front of a star and using that method to detect the existence of exoplanets. And that number of discovered exoplanets has shot up rapidly as more and more people dive in on using this technique and more and more space missions and space telescopes are deployed to try and stare across the universe trying to find exoplanets. Now, all the way back in 2018, launched atop a Falcon 9 rocket, one of SpaceX rockets, was the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, TESS. And it's part of the NASA's Explorers program, which includes the Kepler mission. And the purpose of TESS is to actually hunt for exoplanet. And it does this by looking for them to pass in front of stars. And it has a search area around 400 times larger than that was of the Kepler mission. And Kepler itself found over a thousand exoplanets. Now, there's about 3,800 exoplanets were discovered before TESS was launched. And after that, that number has grown and grown and grown. And a new batch of data from TESS has just come out, which has helped scientists piece together some pretty exciting targets to investigate. And when scientists are studying these exoplanets, what they're looking for is a number of things. First off is to try and understand what exactly it takes to form a planet around a star. What type of planets can form, if Earth is a a pretty common type planet, or if it's a weird edge case. And after all of that, it starts to look at, well, what do we know about these particular planets? And what can we find out about what is happening on those planets? And that is all terribly exciting for knowing about space around us, but also for understanding how life was formed on Earth, whether the conditions that happened here on Earth are particularly unique or what they can tell us about the potential for life to exist on other planets in our own solar system, perhaps the moons of some of the outer gas giants. Now, all of this is incredibly exciting, but we're gonna look at a couple of specific stories from this month's batch of data that relate to the test mission and how it's identified some pretty interesting planets to go and investigate. The first of the stories we're going to talk about is involved in two papers. The first paper published in the journal Astronomy and Astrophysics with the lead author Raphael Lecou from IAC, and the second paper is led by a researcher from Cornell University, Lisa kalanis and her paper was published in the Astrophysical Journal Letters. Now they both relate to the same star system using the same set of data produced by TESS, and they tell an exciting story about what is actually happening on this particular planet. Now, the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite (TESS) peered its eyes towards a star by the name of GJ 357. Now, GJ 357 is an M-type dwarf star, which means it's about third the size of our Sun, and it also is about 40% cooler. Now, this system is located only 31 light years away, which seems like a really, really, really large distance, but in interstellar terms, is actually pretty close. Now, this space system, GJ357, is located in the constellation of Hydra. Now, way back in February, the cameras aboard TESS caught the star dimming slightly every 3.9 days. That, in the eyes of astronomers, is perfect news, because that means TESS has found a transiting exoplanet. Now, once scientists knew that, they turned their attention to the GJ357 system. And they tried to see if they could figure out what was going on there. Now, it's not that this star had not been looked at before. In fact, as lead author Raphael Lecou pointed out, these planets were hiding in measurements made by numerous observatories over many years. But it took tests to point out an interesting star that we could uncover on. And what they first observed was GJ357b. Now, that's a planet about 22 times larger than Earth. Now that's a planet about 22% larger than Earth, so not a super Earth, but just a little bit bigger. Except, unfortunately, it orbits around 11 times closer to its star than our Mercury does for our Sun. Now, if you think about it, that's very, very close to that star, but this star, as you remember, is much, much cooler than our own Sun, and it's also much smaller. So that means, even though it's so close, the actual temperature on that planet in its atmosphere is only around 254 degrees Celsius. Which is hot, but not boiling compared to some other exoplanets that we know. So the scientists describe GJ357b as a hot Earth. Probably too hot for most life to exist, but you know, it's pretty close in, so that makes sense. And while scientists were studying 357b, they looked to ground-based observatories to try and confirm the existence of this planet. And they were pointing at all these ground-based telescopes, including some led by the Max Blakes Institute for Astronomy in Heidelberg, Germany. They were trying to see what else they could find out. And lo and behold, around the star GJ357 wasn't one exoplanet, but three. And they found another closely orbiting star planet, and they also found one named GJ357D, and that one is the most interesting. Now, we have what's called in astronomy the Goldilocks Zone, a zone where it is possible due to the closeness to the star for there not be enough heat that any ice or water present will melt into form liquid water that could exist on that planet's surface, but not so close that that water would then immediately boil away and evaporate. So this Goldilocks zone depends on a few things, obviously the size and the type of the star and how hot it is. But GJ357D is located just towards the edge of the star's habitable zone. It receives about the same amount of stellar energy from its star that Mars does from our Sun. Which means, if that planet has a dense enough atmosphere, which we don't know at this point in time, but is certainly possible, it means it could trap enough heat to warm the planet and allow liquid water to exist on its surface. But if it doesn't have an atmosphere, it would mean the equivalent temperature of the planet is around negative 53 degrees Celsius, which would make it more of a glacier planet than an ocean planet. Now, this planet itself is bigger than Earth. It's 6.1 times more massive than Earth, and it has a orbital period that's quite fast. It's not 365 days for a year but it's 55.7 days which is pretty fast but that's because it's so close to the sun compared with the distance from earth. Now how these scientists used ground-based observatories to confirm the presence of these extra planets was they took the indication to look at this exact location 357 from the TESS observatory and then they peered over archival images from a number of different telescopes all the way back to 1998 including the European Southern Observatory, the Las Campas Observatory in Chile, the WM Keck Observatory in Hawaii, and the Cala Alto Observatory in Spain. And over that long period of time, they tried to capture, if they could, any other indications of the presence of exoplanets. They looked at measurements in the star's radial velocity and its speed along our line of sight. And they could see through that small tug on the star by all the planets, moving and slowing down and speeding up the star as it travels across our sky that there were exoplanets presence there now that's not the transiting method is another method but it is a useful way of double confirming that they've discovered an exoplanet and that in and of itself is pretty exciting and shows that these clues for these exoplanets were always there in the data we just didn't know where to look and that's the problem with astronomy there's so many places to look how do you know what's hidden in all that data based on this data from the test mission Researchers from Cornell, including lead researcher Lisa Kalanetega, along with undergraduate students Jack Madden and Zifan Lin, took this concept and this information about G357D and they formed very quickly some simulated light fingerprints and climates and detectable spectra. Now, the purpose for doing all of this is trying to give scientists something to look for. By building these simulated light figure or spectra, they can help determine the composition of the planets themselves. Knowing that these exoplanets are now there and how far away they are from their star, gives scientists the ability to try and figure out what exactly is present on the surface. Now, if we want to know if it's rocky or watery, or if we want to know if it has an atmosphere or not, these are all things that can be determined from the spectra. And that requires detailed observations with other observatories. But first, you need to, again, know what to look for, and that's why building these models and these spectra fingerprints helps scientists actually target and hone in on exactly what they need to look for. Now whilst this can't be pieced together right now, new telescopes are coming online very shortly and these will enable those telescopes to hone in on G357 and use these spectras to actually figure out if there's any liquid water present on those planets. And that's a great idea and shows how science needs to work in stages. Sometimes you might find an interesting area to explore but then you have to work together and wait for a new tool to be available so that somebody else could then f- continue carrying the torch and figuring out the next thing to investigate. Some great work published in the Astrophysical Journal Letters by Lisa Cannestula and her team as well as the team from ISE and a number of other universities including Max Planck led by Raphael Lecoux published in Astronomy and Astrophysics. investigating researchers like David Singh at John Hopkins University of Baltimore, Maryland is one that's uh, not found using the Tess observatory but rather found using the venerable old NASA Hubble Space Telescope and that is of course WASP-121b now WASP-121b is one of the stranger types of planets it's called a hot Jupiter basically that means it's a Jupiter-sized planet that's orbiting incredibly close to its star and when i say close i mean incredibly close so close it's within what scientists call hugging distance of its star or one to one now it's very far away around 900 light years away but the planet itself is undergoing pretty dramatic transformation you see when you're within hugs so, when you're within hugging distance of a star things tend to heat up just how hot well, the atmosphere on WASP-121b is around 2,600 degrees Celsius. Now, that's incredibly hot. And what they've, scientists have found is that this heat and the gravitational pull of the star is actually squaring off and flattening out of this planet itself, making it look more like a football than a perfect sphere. And not only that... The atmosphere is being bled away. Now, we've seen this happen in several places before, but this one is particularly special because using Hubble Space Telescopes, elements that are heavier than hydrogen and helium, which we normally find leaving a planet being blown off in its atmosphere, heavy metals are actually being blown off because they are so warmed up and heated by the closeness to the star that, well, they're boiling and have become gas. And that means they can just be blown away by the stellar wind of the nearby star. Now the researchers used the Hubble Space Telescope's imaging spectrograph to search in the ultraviolet light spectral signatures. And what they found is signatures of magnesium and iron all in the starlight filtering out of WASP-121b's atmosphere. So the atmosphere is being blown away by the star, eked out of it. And well, not only that, it's losing its helium and hydrogen, its fuel for the star, but it's also losing all its heavy elements like iron and magnesium. And thinking about how those are being pulled away, blown away, is spectacular to think about. And this is part of a a study called the Panchromatic Comparative Exoplanet Treasury, PANSET. Basically, they've picked 20 exoplanets found through other missions, ranging in size from super-Earths to massive Jupiters, and they're observing them in ultraviolet, visible, and infrared to build up a comparative image of these worlds. And this is in general how exoplanet hunting goes. First you find them using a transiting method or another radial measurement method, like we talked about earlier, and then you point some other powerful instruments at it. And that's what these researchers have done, and published their results in the Astronomical Journal. It's a good way of showing the multi-stage process of analysing these worlds that are discovered. And in this case, finding out some pretty incredible things, like WASP-121b being so hot it melts iron that can just blow away in the stellar wind. Now, the TESS mission is not only useful for finding exoplanets. In fact, it's actually helping scientists from Ohio State University piece together one of the other strange mysteries of space. And they've just recently published a paper in the Monthly Notices of the Royal Astronomical Society, led by lead author Patrick Valerie. Now, what they were investigating isn't a transiting exoplanet at all. It's actually a particular type of supernova. Now, a supernova is when a star reaches a certain stage of its life, collapses in on itself, and then explodes out into a massive explosion, which scatters stellar remnants across the universe, leading to all the heavy metals getting present in the formation of a new star system, or maybe a new exoplanet. So supernova is incredibly interesting. But there's a certain type of supernova that happens. For example, you take a white dwarf star. Now, Now, scientists have been trying to figure out why exactly a white dwarf, which is a really small star, cold and about the size of earth why that type of star would go supernova because not all of them do and a certain type of supernova actually occurs normally they could figure out that after gathering mass from a nearby companion star and it sort of grows too big to remain stable then it sort of explodes into a supernova when that least was the theory of the standard model but if that was true then the explosion should leave behind trace elements of hydrogen Again, which is a crucial building block of new stars. But because white dwarfs have already burned through their own hydrogen, there wouldn't be much left in there in the supernova. So scientists weren't really sure how exactly these white dwarf stars go supernova. They know that they do. They've observed that it has happened. But no one's really able to figure out what exactly causes them to do so. And that's where these researchers, led by Patrick Vallely from Ohio State University, have been trying to use the TESS light data to try and piece this together. As it says, the models that most astronomers have for trying to understand this aren't particularly good. The taking mass approach sort of relies on this white dwarf star pulling extra mass from a nearby object, either a near star or exoplanet, to cause it to explode. And so people were looking for hydrogen signatures to try and prove this hypothesis. Now... Using the test data, they've been analysing the remnants of white dwarves and found that there's no evidence. So using the test light curve data, they're able to piece together and identify what gets left behind after one of these white dwarfs go nova. And what they found was the presence of hydrogen. Now, the white dwarf should have already chewed through its own hydrogen, otherwise it wouldn't have become a white dwarf. So where did this extra hydrogen come from? It's the first time they've actually got direct evidence of hydrogen being left behind in the remnants of the supernova. Now, it's possible that this white dwarf consumed a nearby star, perhaps a normal star in the middle span of its life, not another white dwarf. But when the scientists measured the light curve from this supernova, the curve indicated that the second star that it absorbed was actually, in fact, another white dwarf. So where is all this hydrogen then coming from? maybe it's possible that the hydrogen comes from a third star swallowed up by this white dwarf which is consumed in the supernova by chance so the white dwarf ate another white dwarf exploded and in that supernova destroyed another star which left behind the helium the hydrogen and helium but that is still a pretty unlikely scenario so in this case what they believe they've observed is well two white dwarfs orbiting each other Spiralling out of control, eventually in a binary star system, one hitting the other and forming a supernova, these twin stars going out in a blaze of glory. But finding hydrogen means that that's had to come from somewhere else, potentially another star in the system getting destroyed. And trying to piece together this murder mystery of how a star died and formed might seem like an odd bit of astronomy to be doing but it's also incredibly important because type 1 supernova is very important for space sciences because it helps astronomers calculate the distance in space and measure how quickly the universe is expanding in fact this kind of research is what helped people win the Nobel prize in physics all the way back in 2011. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. From White Dwarf Supernova to the TESS Exoplanet mission discovering potentially Goldilocks planets and even a planet being squished and boiled and pulled apart. Our ending theme was composed by Audioonatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.